Hello, everyone, and welcome to CBA's At The Bar, a podcast where young and youngish lawyers have unscripted conversations with our guests about legal news events, topics, stories, and whatever else strikes our fancy. I'm your host, John Amarillo of Taft, Titanius, and Hollister, and co-hosting the pod with me today is my friend and yours, Trish Rich of Holland and Knight. Hi, Trish. Hi. So, Trish, we have a different kind of episode today, and dare I say, a tastier one. We're joined by Valerie Beck of Chocolate Uplift. Valerie is a Chicago native a Harvard College and Harvard Law grad, and former big law lawyer turned chocolate expert and entrepreneur. She started and owned a chocolate tour company and has since then become an international chocolate consultant, broker, judge, marketer, speaker. Yes, that's a thing. Some of which we'll get into today. Valerie also started the Chocolate Freedom Project, which isn't exactly the kind of Willy Wonka reference it seems to be at first, but rather exists to end child slave labor and trafficking on coca farms in West Africa mostly in Côte d'Ivoire, also known as the Ivory Coast. Valerie, welcome. Thank you for coming on the pod. Thank you, John. Thank you, Trish. I'm so excited to be here. We're so excited to have you. So. <laughs> so, Valerie, it's not often that lawyers turn into professional chocolate experts, right? As right. much as some of us might want to be, Trish, Maybe I've started a trend. Come on in. <laughs> I'm going to have to have you on my food podcast Yay, sometime. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> uh, but I know that when I mentioned this show to several of my lawyer friends and one particularly interested uh, associate in our office, the reaction was universal, mm-hmm. and it was, how do I do that? Yay. <laughs> so my first question for you is, how did you do that? Oh, I'm so excited you asked because it was a process. Not so much flipping a light switch from lawyer to chocolate services entrepreneur, but it was really a process. I fell in love with chocolate at the age of four. I remember going to my mom and saying, Mommy, guess what? I just found out there's such a thing as chocolate milk. (laughs) And I never (laughs) wanted to drink regular milk again. I mean, why? (laughs) And so my whole life I've just been in love with learning about chocolate, finding out where it comes from, how is it made, what are the chemical processes that go into it, everything I could learn about it. In but terms you didn't of, start there, yeah. right? You started as a lawyer. I did. You went to Harvard Law, <laughs> right? I feel so grateful that I got to do that. Yeah. So the Michigan of the East? The Michigan of the East? I was going to say she was at a bit of a disadvantage compared to like Yale Law grads, but you overcame that. <laughs> I worked hard. Thank you. You're very brave. Yeah, really. <laughs> and you. so you went to big law, right? I did. We won't name the firm, but big, That's big fine. law. Exactly, yeah. Right? And how was your experience there? You know, I must say, I've I've got nothing negative to say about the work or the people I worked with in terms of smart people working hard, doing flawless work product for their clients. That said, I kind of felt like I was in a white-collar sweatshop in mm. that I just really somehow was not able to set boundaries between my work and my life, my work and my sanity, right? How do you say <laughs> that word? A b- a boundary? <laughs> I don't know how to spell it. I don't know what it means exactly. I, I couldn't okay. do it. It's français. Voilà. What so, kind of law did you practice? Corporate finance and M&A, so corporate transactions. I remember one deal we were on. Oh, my goodness. The partners would send us home to sleep in shifts. Wow. wow. We'd have 20-hour days sometimes. That seems necessary. <laughs> Completely <laughs> necessary. It was it was great. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know why people are so concerned about lawyer wellness. I don't understand. I don't get it either. <laughs> um, so you said, forget all that. Yes. I said, you know, I, I need to save my life and <laughs> find the yeah. exit. Exactly. It's not an overly dramatic statement. <laughs> Thank like, you. Well, I, yeah. I compl- we can all relate to that, right? Yeah. So when I was 19, I had this idea that I didn't act on until I was 35. 
Wait, that would make me, never mind. Um, so in any case, I was studying abroad um, as a college senior, and I fell in love with the chocolate shops of Paris. Who wouldn't? And I thought, you know, wow, wouldn't it be fun if I could create a business that would take people on a tour and let them learn about artisan chocolate and fair trade chocolate and, again, the processes and the history. Yeah, right? but we all have ideas like that. None of us yeah. actually go through with them. I guess I was just more desperate. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I had reached my rock bottom of desperation. One of my final straws, you might say, of many, many final straws, was falling asleep on a date. Oh. Yeah, I was amazed I even had a date. I don't know how that <laughs> happened. <laughs> because I was never out and about to meet anybody. So how did the second date go? <laughs> Trish, I'm so glad you asked. There was none. <laughs> really? <laughs> I know. Surprise, right? <laughs> Poor kid probably still isn't right. I feel very, very bad for him. Well, to be fair, you have provided him with a lifelong worst date story. So <laughs> I feel grateful I could yes. supply that. I kind of feel like if I was the guy on that date, I'd just keep it to myself, though. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say much about me. Oh, male ego needs yeah. some love. That's okay. Yeah. If we ever yeah. do a pot That's on exactly. yeah, if we ever exactly. do a pot on terrible first dates, I, I don't even think we'll need a guest. It could just be me and you. Just, I'll just interview you. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to listen. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, you know, why don't I just go back to that idea that I had when I was a study abroad student? Why don't I really try to make it work? I thought I've almost literally got nothing to lose because if I don't make a change, nothing will change. Mm -hmm. So did you start working on your chocolate company while you were still at the law firm? I left that firm and I tried to do what I think is called downshifting, going to a firm where I could have a little more control over my life. That myth seemed to not turn out to be reality. <laughs> and from there, I actually went in-house and was not entirely pleased with how things turned out there either. So the short answer is yes, I was working on my business project while I was a lawyer. But the true answer is no, I, I somehow really didn't have the headspace to do that until I actually quit. And so I did a little bit of contract work, which, oh, my gosh, that could be a whole, you know, separate book or novel or podcast or something. But it at least gave me, again, the headspace to just really focus on the business. And then the, the final thing that I did in the law that actually was, I don't know, kind of a godsend at its time. You know, at that time, at least recruiters would would call um, everybody, not just me, I mean, but it was a thing. I don't know if it still <laughs> is. And one of them called and I said, you know, I'm not looking to go back into a firm. But I asked her, do you ever have strange little jobs that you can't fill, like where I could work from home and do it at odd hours? And do you have that? She said, funny, you should ask. And so I ended up writing blurbs for a firm that was starting a new website on some of the cases that they had won. And so I was able to do something in the law from home, have time to work on my business. It was so crazy that it worked. That's and great. so you built up this business. <laughs> yes, I built up the business. I started with one dream and I built it to 50 employees in four cities. And it was so exciting to be an entrepreneur. What is it that you love about chocolate? Why did you want to oh. introduce other people to it and yeah. teach them more oh, about it? That's a great question, John. I love not only the flavor that you know we can all get, get so excited about, but I love that the process of chocolate can uplift everyone along the supply chain. I don't mm. know if that sounds as geeky as I hope it does. <laughs> but every time we buy any product, who's behind that? Who made it? Who suffered for it? Or who benefited from it? And I loved always thinking about chocolate in that way. So from the cocoa farmer all the way through to the chocolate maker, any distributors, any retailers, to us, the eaters, I just love that chocolate can uplift us all. 
So our audience can't see this right now, but we have a table that is just filled with craft chocolate bars and different kinds of chocolate here. It's beautiful. Um, I won't ask you which your favorite is. I'm not going to make you choose between the children, so to speak. Right? Thank you. That's what I say. I love all my children equally. This one, no. I love- it's funny. I think that's what all parents say, right? right? <laughs> yeah, so not true. But we know the truth. Definitely right? your favorite. But so you wrapped up that business and you became a chocolate consultant essentially, right? right? That's right. So you go around the world as I understand it and you do what? Yeah. So basically I help everybody along the supply chain with whatever they need for that project. For example, it might be working with the Trade Commission of Ecuador to talk with their cocoa growers and their chocolate makers and talk about ways that they can grow the kind of cocoa beans and make the kind of chocolate that the U.S. market wants to buy. So do we have some Ecuadorian chocolate here? Oh, you bet we do. This one is by Dandelion Chocolate made in San Francisco from just two ingredients, Ecuadorian cacao from the Costa Esmeraldas farm owned by Freddie, who's just an amazing, innovative, visionary entrepreneur, and cacao and sugar. That's all you need to make amazing chocolate. So is that like the marker of good chocolate, that it's just cacao and sugar? Traceability and clean ingredients are, I would say, definitely a marker of great chocolate. Okay. Right, so we're trying this now? Oh, Let's eat it. Even mm-hmm. that aroma, right? Oh, intoxicating. Well, <laughs> it's not. We just put it in our mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever works. Yeah. <laughs> I do that with wine, too. <laughs> Whatever works. It's about enjoyment, mm. however you enjoy it. That's delicious. So I'm glad you think what, so. What makes this chocolate stand out for you? Yeah. So for me, it's the flavor as well as the texture that I find very storytelling. The chocolate opens up for me with a certain note and then it develops. It doesn't taste like just one thing. And I find different people taste different things. So for this one, I get sort of a, a fruity note. I get an earthy note, maybe the tiniest hint of a floral. Mm. Or you might just say, you know what, it just tastes like chocolate and it's good. And that's okay too. But to me, it tells a story from beginning to end. The texture is flawless, so smooth without being overly unctuous, without being dry in any way. It just sort of hits that that perfect spot for me. And again, I love to read the label and see two ingredients. I love to see the cacao country of origin printed right there. Ecuador, Costa Esmeraldas. This is traceable. We know where it came from. Okay, so traceability is like appellation, essentially. (laughs) Yes, that's a perfect way to look at it. Okay. Absolutely. Like if you bought a bottle of wine and it just said, wine. (laughs) Right. Some (laughs) of it does. We're not telling you anymore. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. And you evaluate that wine in a different way from one where you see the estate. So identifying (laughs) the country of origin and possibly the estate, would you say that for for those in our audience who want to learn how to pick chocolate better, that those are important markers? Yes. I would say that's a crucial thing to look for, the cacao country of origin, remembering that cocoa beans do not grow in Switzerland, Belgium, or Hershey, Pennsylvania. (laughs) (laughs) Which we'll, we'll come back to Hershey, Pennsylvania. It's a beautiful a town. So the thing that struck me most about this piece was the texture. I mean, it's just incredibly right. smooth. Thank you, Trish. Yes, it's, again, got this creaminess, yet with no milk, with no dairy. Yeah. So what are the two ingredients again? Did we say? You know, it was cacao yeah, and sugar, cacao right? cacao and sugar. It's all you need. Pay attention, Trish. Oh. <laughs> She's savoring. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted by the food. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so, um... Oh, this this one's really interesting. It's really good. So do you, go I mean, do you happen to know the place where this came from? I do. You know, I sometimes joke, I make it a point to know everything about my clients that they will let me find out and more. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I, I love them. I respect them. They're hardworking, and I like to get as deep into their business as they want me to. So, yeah, the founders and team of Dandelion Chocolate are amazingly committed professionals. They go to the source. Greg, for example, is their chief sourcer, but it's called Sorcerer. Because <laughs> it's magic, mm, right? You see what, they did, right? you see what they did there, yes. <laughs> and so it. he goes personally to all of the farms where they source cocoa beans to see with his own eyes what's mm. happening there. And so I love, again, that level of commitment. They just opened, Dandelion uh, Chocolate just opened a new 35,000 square foot facility. Now, for a big brand, that's, you know, a closet. For a small batch brand, that's huge. And mm -hmm. so I'm just so proud of them for, again, committing to their craft, to building, to growing, and making this incredible chocolate. So you go to these countries and you help teach the growers how to better grow sustainable and high-quality coca, right? Uh, you know, you're, you're imputing almost way too much to me. I, I, I talk with them about maybe flavor profiles that U.S. buyers might be looking for. But yeah, I, I do what I can do to help them. I don't pretend to be an expert in terms of the agricultural knowledge that they've built up over generations. But yes, I go, I, I talk with them uh, about what the trends are in the market and how can they meet those trends if that's their goal. What are the trends in the chocolate market? Yes, oh, it's a great question. So what we're seeing on on this table that, oh, I wish everybody could come and help us, although now that's, we've got more for no, us, more I guess. more for us, yeah, yeah it's fine. <laughs> help us eat it more let's, for let's us. Let's start eating more. <laughs> <laughs> well, one trend is different notes in the cocoa beans. So again, when you eat the chocolate, do you just taste chocolate? That's okay if you do, but does the cocoa bean want to tell you another story? Does it want to tell you a story of earth, of grape, of tobacco? Just like in wine again, in coffee. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can taste all these flavors that are in the grape, that are in the coffee bean. Same thing with cocoa. So letting the cocoa bean tell its story, looking for those fruity, earthy notes, those are really popular. So, so which chocolate bar here is talking to you? Oh, boy, <laughs> I have the voices in my head. Oh, dear. They're all telling me a great story. For example, the, oh, my goodness, what have we got? open and ready to go. Oh, the one here from Jocolatl with the nuts in it. This uses cacao from Peru. And there I get almost a little bit of a jammy, grapey sort of a note, almost oh, like wine. In fact, yeah. Let me, let me just fact check you here for a minute. <laughs> I think it's very check important to try. <laughs> try so what's for in this one that we're trying right now? Yeah, so this one is called Go Nuts because it's got toasted almonds and sea salt. And the sea salt is not just any ordinary sea salt. It has been elevated by being soaked in vanilla. Hmm. So again, the creativity of the inclusion, I think, just gives this bar that little something extra. I'm going to talk with my mouthful. That's really good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, I'm so glad you like it. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad you like it. John, so I can't thank you enough for having me on as the co-host today. I'm here for you. <laughs> so yeah, I help bars like these get onto shelves. I work with the chocolate makers with anything they need in terms of marketing and wholesaling. And I just love being able to, again, share such a unique product with other chocolate lovers. So for people that, you know, are newbies at this, myself yeah. included, mm -hmm. can you briefly tell us, you know, the story of a cocoa bean? Like sure, how yeah. it got from... Peru, in this case, exactly. to being in front of us. From bean to bar, you mm -hmm. might say. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my goodness. So cocoa is a fruit. 
Chocolate comes from fruit. Is that not the greatest news <laughs> ever? I actually learned that just a few minutes ago. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so the cocoa tree grows in rainforest-type areas, um, usually about 20 degrees north or south of the equator. With climate change, we're definitely seeing shifts in that, so that's uh, very important in the chocolate world. And you mean if climate change were real? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yes. Conspiracy yes. by Chinese yeah. automakers. Oh boy! Ask any farmer, though, yeah. right? right? Who who grows anything in yeah. the world, right. and and that farmer will tell you that that there have been shifts. Sure, you people might argue over where those shifts come from, right. um, but any farmer in the world will, I know, right? Will You're tell not going to you. get an argument in this. Room. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> You're fun. Um, so, yeah, so okay, so north or south of the equator, and then mm -hmm. all the way around the world, or predominantly in South America, are we seeing? Yeah, no, yep. you're so right. South America is where cacao originated. We think in the Amazon basin, maybe five thousand years ago. Hopefully, longer than that, because what would people have done before chocolate? I mean, terrifying like, thought. Like very sad lives. <laughs> very sad lives. I think it explains the Middle Ages and the Inquisition. <laughs> they didn't have chocolate. Well, I, I guess they ate chocolate by the Inquisition. Didn't well, they? I sometimes think, though, my goodness, our poor friends and ancestors of Europe before yeah. they took over and brutally colonized <laughs> South America and had no chocolate. It's a terrible story. In many right. ways. But that's fake. Imperialism is bad. We know. <laughs> but yeah, chocolate grows on, on cocoa trees. You harvest the beautifully colored cocoa pods, open it up, take the seeds from outside of the fruit. Now the seeds must be dried and fermented to really start unlocking the flavor. It's cool, by the way, right, that chocolate is a fermented food like beer and wine and bread and cheese and all the delicious things A lot of parallels with love. alcohol. Yeah. yeah. It's true. You are speaking my language. I do. I, the more you compare it to alcohol, the more I understand. Oh, I'm so glad. Yay. <laughs> so, yeah, after that process all happens on the farm, now the beans are ready to leave the farm. We call them beads, but they're a seed. They're the, the seed of the fruit of the cocoa tree. Now they're ready to go to the chocolate makers. And if we're talking about bulk West African cacao, oh, there's so many steps in between. If we're talking about the type of specialty cacao that goes into the bars we have on the table here, it's direct trade. For example, the team at Jocolato, where we just tried the nut bar, the team at Dandelion, where we had the Ecuador bar, they buy direct from the farmers. Mm -hmm. And this is actually revolutionary in chocolate. This is part of a new supply chain, not traded on the New York and London stock exchanges like bulk cacao and the, on the commodities exchanges like bulk cacao, but this is direct trade. This is chocolate maker and cocoa grower saying, let's do business. And so like so many other industries, they ensure the quality by staying small? Yes, that's such a such an important part of it right now. Can quality scale? Can artisanship scale? That's a question that some of the larger small makers are really grappling with and, and bumping up against and, and that I love you know, sort of being a, a part of that uh, a little bit. But yes, by being small, the chocolate makers and chocolate growers are able to work directly together. Is it traded like a commodity, like how we train corn or soybeans where, you know, somebody like our friends here at Dandelion will just say... I need some chocolate from somewhere in the world. Or is it more like wine where they're specifically saying, I want it from this land plot in this country? Right. It's the latter. For small batch chocolate, it's working directly with the farmer, buying the cocoa beans directly from this lot, from this estate. But you're also correct that for the big brands, it's the former. Oh, it's buying the beans on the commodities exchange. So what's this guy over here? Oh, He's this guy is me. so good, right? Ritual chocolate, Park City, Trish Utah. Sure. Chocolate made at 7,000 feet. I get altitude sick just thinking about it, but it's <laughs> awesome there. <laughs> 
So this one is uh, a dark chocolate and it has salt on it. Exactly. I can see that. Oh, thank you. Yes, this is a salted bar. Do you oh, find wow. too that, right, that salt just brings out the brightness of chocolate? Mm. <laughs> Ritual chocolate is, again, so smooth, right? I know you're into texture, Trish. Mm -hmm. That's good. Oh, I'm so glad That's you fun. like it. I'm so so where's Ritual from? Yeah, so the cacao here was grown in Ecuador, like our dandelion bar. And Ritual Chocolate Business is based in Utah, hmm. Park City. So you can ski, and then you can ski on in for a hot <laughs> chocolate. Not bad. So <laughs> once a distributor, yeah. I guess Dandelion is an example of a distributor, right? They're the chocolate maker. So oh, they, they make it as well. Okay. Exactly, yeah. They don't actually work with distributors in most cases. They will buy direct from the growers. So they buy from the growers. Yeah. And then they, they get these beans shipped to San Francisco? Correct. Okay. And then what happens? Oh, that's so exciting, too. You can actually go, and, and I was just at their new facility a couple of months ago. You can go talk about transparent. Not only is the purchase of the beans transparent, you can see the price that they paid on their transparency wow. page on the website. You can see them making the chocolate. So the first step is to take the cocoa beans, which I've got some over here for us to, to look at and handle. Those? Yeah. Like you can totally the eat them. They're delicious. I put them on my grapefruit and my banana in the morning. They're so healthy, loaded with magnesium, iron. It's a fruit, Trish. It's a, it's fruit. a fruit. You got it. <laughs> so, yeah, the cocoa beans have to be de-husked. I have a, I have a stern, <laughs> stern letter to go to the USDA about this food beer. <laughs> There's so much that can be done. <laughs> but, yeah, the cocoa beans will now at the chocolate company be dehusked and cracked into the smaller version that I have here, the cocoa nib. And then once the cocoa beans are in small enough size, they're ready to go into the grinder. And this to me is so exciting because the amount of time and the temperature of friction at which the cocoa beans are in the grinder, picture like a stone grinder and the beans have got friction and heat as well as movement, the chocolate is going to liquefy in mm. a sense. And depending on the time and the temperature, different flavors will emerge from the cocoa beans. It's so exciting. Yeah, that's very mm. interesting. So for example, a bar like we just tasted will be in the grinder for three to five days nonstop. Huh. And it's moving that whole time? It's moving that whole time. And that's when they're putting any flavor infusions in if they're You could have absolutely any. do that at that time. That's right. Like if you wanted to add raspberry, if mm -hmm. you wanted something to be just so smoothly blended in that you couldn't see it or crunch it, but it was just really mixed in. For example, matcha tea is a big trend to do that with now. That's right. pretty fun. Um, you'll add the sugar and then you're ready to take the bar out of the grinder. And now, Oh, boy, you can get as technically crazy as you want to. Some chocolate makers will pretty much go straight to tempering the chocolate, that is getting the molecular structure solid in bar form, and they're almost done. But a brand like Dandelion, since we're talking about them, has now got all manner of different machines to get the micron size of the particles so tiny that you get that wonderful smooth texture. That's super interesting. Yeah. I'm glad you get kind of geeked out on this, too. I think it's fascinating. <laughs> That's it's just it's so interesting. So then yeah. in my mind, I think and I did grow up on a farm, but not unfortunately not a chocolate farm. Oh, exciting though. <laughs> in my mind, the next step would be pouring it into some sort of mold or something. Yes, exactly. And I forgot to men mention the roasting, by the way. Oh, my goodness, that unlocks so much flavor as well. So the beans are roasted uh, and then ground, go through the other machinery and equipment as needed. 
tempered so that, again, that molecular structure is just right. If you've ever melted chocolate in the microwave and tried to mm -hmm. get it to stick on a strawberry and you just kind of end up with a mess, um, that's because <laughs> the chocolate is out of temper, just meaning that the molecules aren't, aren't lined up in a way that they'll stay stable. So anyway, that happens. And then, yes, we're ready to mold the chocolate into the traditional bar form, or we're seeing some makers get kind of radical. I mean, if you think about it, chocolate bar is very handy and we're very used to it. But why? Why the chocolate mm -hmm. bar? We could have a chocolate round, like Taza chocolate right mm -hmm. here. We could have a chocolate pentagon. We right. <laughs> could have anything sure. anything we want. Uh, but yes, now you mold the chocolate. Some chocolate makers now, oh, Trish, you're into wine. You love this. <laughs> Some chocolate makers will age the chocolate. Oh, that is so interesting. Right? Because different molecular yeah, flavors will Actions, come out. Over, exactly. Yeah. Are still happening. Different flavors will come Gosh, out. That's interesting. It's I right. I find it so fascinating as well. Uh, the chocolate will be wrapped. Most of my client chocolate makers wrap by hand because they're very wow. artisanal small batch makers, correct? Dandelion, since again we're talking about them, has got a really cool machine that they call Hansel. <laughs> I've so met Hansel. Hot right now. <laughs> <laughs> I've met Hansel. He's a great dude. But yeah, the bars will be wrapped. And by the way, the paper that you see from Dandelion, if you touch it, you can tell I think it's not paper, it's cotton. Mm -hmm. It's upcycled Indian textile. That's fascinating. Sustainability is another big word, right? Traceability. So how much did this chocolate bar cost you? Yeah, so this is a $9 chocolate $9. bar. Yeah. Which is probably a perfect transition. We're going to take a break there, <laughs> eat some chocolate, and Yum. we'll be right back. Seeking to expand your legal network, sharpen your skills, and obtain free CLE? Unless you plan on being a professional failure, that's probably a good idea. Join the Chicago Bar Association today and connect with lawyers and judges who lead Chicago's legal community. The CBA will help you expand your personal and professional networks while providing practical programs and resources that meet your specific practice needs. New lawyer membership starts at just $82 a year. Learn more at www.chicagobar.org. Need a lawyer? Steve? Do. You look like you need a lawyer. The Chicago Bar Association Lawyer Referral Service has been making referrals for over 70 years to attorneys who have been thoroughly screened for experience in over 40 different areas of the law. Call 312-554-2001 or visit us online at www.chicagobar.org backslash LRS. So right before the break, I asked you how much this chocolate bar cost, and you said $9. That's right, and it's a bargain <laughs> when you look at what goes into it. <laughs> Why do you say that? I say that because the price of the cacao is usually anywhere from five to seven times higher than the price of the cacao in a bulk chocolate bar. And then you factor in the payments to the farmers for their labor, if any additional beyond the price of the cacao, the transport, the handcrafting of certain elements in San Francisco in the case of Dandelion or in other cities, Park City, for example, in the case of, of John's favorite salted ritual chocolate. And say it was my favorite. I'm I'm leaving <laughs> I'm leaving my mind open. We have a I lot like more to taste. I like that attitude. There's yeah, a lot more you know, I don't want to No favorite child yet. Yes, not yet. <laughs> so that reminds me of the Washington Post article that yes. ran a couple of weeks ago and yes. I think it was entitled Coca's Child Laborers That's which right. talked about the problem of child slave labor and trafficking and coca bean production which yes. you've been um, hinting at throughout the conversation. <laughs> Talks about what we'll call big chocolate maybe right, for right. purposes of the conversation. Yes. Um, including all the major 
major brands that our audience will know. And they pledged decades ago to stop using uh, coca harvested from essentially child slave labor, correct? Correct. And it talked about the really appalling conditions that exist mostly in West Africa, right? That's right. Oh, it's heartbreaking. So why don't you tell us in our audience a little bit about that? Because this was all news to me. Right. Thank you so much for asking. It's a problem that's been going on since almost the dawn of industrial chocolate. And what we know is that 2.1 million children are working in hazardous slave-like conditions in mostly Ivory Coast, as you said, mostly Cote d'Ivoire, also other parts of West Africa. How do we know it's 2.1 million kids? Because the United Nations and Tulane University went in and counted and they were given permission to do this by the Ivory Coast government, who also, you know, sort of co-sponsored the report in a sense. So the point is oh, that— they weren't trying to bury the story. The point is that everybody in the chocolate world knows about this and talks about it. And yet the story is just starting to come out to the public, even though some of us have been— <laughs> Do you have, like, your soapbox issues, things that you're <laughs> sort of always, you know, just very passionate and concerned about? And that's how I've always felt. But, yes, yeah, so children are not going to school. And in many cases, they don't live with their parents. In some cases, they're paid a few pennies for their work. But even the farmers to whom they're enslaved make only $2 a day or less. Oh. So in some cases, the children are not even paid. For their labor. So when we look at the price of a chocolate bar, if we take the, say, $1 or $2 commercial bar as our baseline, is that really fair when that mm. price is based on slave labor? So I, again, compare it to wine, as, as I know Trish is, is a wine connoisseur. What's the best <laughs> bottle? You're, oh. you're overstating my expertise. <laughs> oh, well. But consumer, certainly. <laughs> consumer is important. As, as someone who drinks with Trish frequently, I can testify to that. <laughs> consumer. Go team. <laughs> yeah. So what's the, what does the best bottle of wine in the world cost? Is there even a price on it, right? Mm-hmm. And what's a really good bottle of wine cost? Like, I don't know, you know, you can get a decent bottle for $15, right? And you drink it in a night and then you need another. <laughs> Whereas here, we can get some of the best chocolate in the world for $9. And that's why I say it's a bargain. So why are the companies, I mean, other than the obvious, which yeah. is the price point, yes. right? Why are these big companies that we all know we've all consumed throughout our childhood and sure. adulthood, why are they still buying this um Why are they funding this tainted supply chain? Exactly. You know, it's an excellent question. And I think one answer is that so far they have had no consequences. Mm. Actions have consequences. So just not enough social pressure. Not enough social pressure. Um, As the Washington Post article that you referenced pointed out, nobody's been fined for using child slave labor in their chocolate. Nobody's gone to prison for using child slave labor. So there have been almost literally no consequences. Can we back up just one second? I I'm have just going to eat some of this in the meantime. It's comfort <laughs> chocolate while we're having this very depressing conversation. Just drown yourself. This chocolate is saving Continue. the world. This Continue. is the good stuff. Um, yeah. How are these children coming to these farms yeah. in West Africa? How Great is that question. happening? So there's a lot of trafficking going on. And a friend of mine who's from Ghana told me that everybody locally knows this one intersection in her uh, hometown area where you can basically buy and sell kids. And sometimes this comes about due to the just crushing poverty there. Mm -hmm. Um, Families all around the world love their kids. And yet, if a family can't feed their kids, gosh, the the terrible, desperate measures that these families are going to. So apparently the going rate right now is somewhere around $175 to $250 you can 
sell your child and now your other children have got more food to eat, you've got more food to eat, maybe you're hoping and praying that your child is somehow going to make some money getting trafficked into these hazardous working conditions. But yes, trafficking is a big part of it. It's very poverty driven. And so one way that we can eradicate this monstrous problem of child trafficking and child labor is economic, and that's paying the farmers more for their cocoa crop, just as we see happening in the alternate supply chains where craft chocolate comes from, and farmers are paid five to seven times the price. But will the, will the farmers be, is that enough? Will the farmers mm. be incented, or won't they just be incented to pocket the profits? They're like, why can't we treat this the way we've treated like the blood diamond problem? Uh-huh. Yes, I think we need all of these. But how have we treated the blood diamond mm. problem? I mean, people are still buying those all the time, right? It, but it's a lot better now, mm -hmm. right? Sure. And what Valerie's talking about, it's just a complete open market for all the biggest companies in the world. I think I think we need so many sort of weapons to attack the problem. And absolutely, paying people a fair price for their labor is the smart and ethical thing to do, I believe, in, in any industry, including chocolate. Having the type of public outcry that we had for Blood Diamonds, where's our Hollywood star who's going to make a movie about no, so Blood we need, we need Leo on this. <laughs> I, I think he's busy on Leo. that Devil in the White City movie. He's so busy murdering people. Also, I don't big. want to alarm you, but this big. one over here tastes like flowers, which weirds me out. Oh, thank you for having such a good palate, though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's the rosemary that's, that's been oh, added to that one. Oh, that's why I don't like yeah, it. Yeah, that one's okay. got Rosemary, you're not a rosemary so man. Follow-up question to John. How many <laughs> flowers are you eating? <laughs> right. right yeah. Well, that's a fair too question. Too many, apparently. Too many. Yeah. Um, so, like, does fair trade and all that help? Are they addressing Great this? Great question. Or? It's another element that we can use to approach this problem. Again, I, I think we can approach it so many ways. Fair trade is a great idea in terms of bringing equal fair pay for labor in terms of bringing in women and diversity to the markets that fair trade works in. We're not seeing it work so well in chocolate though yet, and here's why, and again, to my fair trade friends, they know I love them, but the fair trade price of cacao is only $200 more than the bulk price of cacao, and that extra $200 is apparently not going to the farmers. So it's the problem that we were talking about before. Exactly. So the farmers are not being paid usually any more money for fair trade than they are for not fair trade. Okay. So fair trade's a scam. <laughs> <laughs> Many people say so. Many people also say that the program... Uh, has got so much merit in, in so many markets, even though it's not yet working in cacao. Can it be tweaked to work in cacao? Let's hope. But checking up on it is another problem. Mm -hmm. Having farmers afford to buy into the program mm -hmm. is a big problem. So there's a lot of challenges with fair trade in cacao. What I recommend looking for, again, if you see a fair trade label, that's awesome. But if you see the cacao country of origin, that's going to tell you usually that the chocolate maker paid farmers that we can trace and we can learn about them and we can know about them. Whereas if you look at a big chocolate brand label, you will not see the cacao country of origin. Interesting. So isn't well, there any government regulation on any of this? Oh, and what does that landscape question. look like? Yeah, that landscape is very deficient. So back in 1997, there were two U.S. senators who wanted to address this. And they it Was almost... Ted Kennedy one of them? It seems like a Ted Kennedy project. <laughs> it does seem like, but it wasn't. It was Harkin and Engel. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. But maybe Kennedy was, was yeah. on board the team. And so, yeah, I think of him for all these, these so yeah. many good works. You're right. 
<laughs> and so they were ready to to pass a law saying, hey, we can't have the fruits of child slave labor coming into the U.S. And if you look back, there's like a 1933, you know, commerce law that basically says that anyway, but this was going to make it more specific and was really going to give teeth to that law so that chocolate companies would have to clean up their act. Well, uh, but the chocolate companies said, Let's not be hasty, guys and gals in Congress. Were there gals? No, I don't think there were. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there like were one few. or two. There there a few. Few. That Pat woman, what was her name? I liked her. Well, in John, any case. John and I were in high school then. We <laughs> you were babies. I know. It's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> so the chocolate companies basically convinced Congress to let them self-regulate. And they said, we're going to, I know, I see the shaking of the head. Always always works works. brilliantly. So they said, we're going to clean up our act by 2005. Oh, wait, we meant 2012. Let's go for 2017. Um, Oops, now they're saying 2025, Mm -hmm. but there's no plan. I hope you're not suggesting that big business has (laughs) its arm (laughs) over the government. (laughs) So, all right. Revolving door is the phrase I've heard. (laughs) Snark aside, is there any hope? At the end of that tunnel. Yes, there's so much hope, John, at the end of the tunnel and on a couple of fronts. One is the consumer front that I know you and I are both big believers in, that as the word spreads, we vote with our dollars, right? And big companies want to sell us what we want to buy. And if we say, hey, big companies, we really love our childhood favorites, but we'd really love if you didn't use other children to make them, Mm -hmm. they can clean up their act. Another front we're seeing is the law. I'm still a believer. (laughs) We're (laughs) seeing some class action suits, for example, in California and Massachusetts, where customers are suing under false advertising laws. Saying that, right? Saying that if you had said big companies on your label or somewhere that you've got child labor in your supply chain, we would not have purchased that omission constitutes false advertising. And then one more case that, wow, this is this is really kind of a heartbreaker too. Two of the former child slaves who've grown up and escaped came to the US and they're suing under the alien tort statute. Fascinating. That's kind of fascinating, right? I remember hearing about that in law school. John, can you just quick refresh everybody on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although the Supreme Court's been scaling that back, that law back quite a bit the past few years. Yeah, no, and you're you're so right. And and what I see almost is more hopeful than the law itself right now. The law is, it's a, a a weather vane of public opinion. Right. And it lets people know what's going on. And as more and more people say, "Hey, we want to see change." The law will will join us. And on that pro-law note, we'll take our next break. This episode of At The Bar is brought to you by CourtFiling.net, your solution for filing in over 100 courts in the state of Illinois. CourtFiling.net provides a better e-filing experience, focusing on speed and ease of use in the e-filing process while quickly addressing the pains that can arise from a newly mandated process. Courtfiling.net is affordable and offers 24-7 phone, email, and chat support. Visit us at courtfiling.net to take advantage to receive 30 days, unlimited free electronic filings, and see why it's the best solution for your firm. Let courtfiling.net worry about your e-filing so you can get back to taking care of your clients. Before we start Stranger Than Legal Fiction, one of the things I've been thinking about is, as we're talking is that, that turtle that got a straw in its nose and how yes. it's completely – a very sad story, but right. it's completely changed the way that we 
you know, use and deal with straws and our That's access right. to straws and all sorts of things. So so we need a turtle to eat a Snickers bar. Yeah, that's what we need. A <laughs> yeah. turtle with a Snickers bar. Some in, kind of a mascot. Nose. Yes. I think you're onto something. Yeah. And then Leo will get involved and we'll make the movie exactly. and it'll be perfect. So on that note. <laughs> so let's play Stranger Than Legal Fiction. The rules are pretty simple. I think uh, Trish definitely knows it. Trish and I have researched a strange law that's on the books somewhere, but probably shouldn't be. We've made another one up completely. Then we're going to pull you, Valerie, and each other to see if we can distinguish strange legal fact from fiction. Are you ready to play? I'm ready to play. Trish, you ready to play? I am ready. Why don't you lead us off? All right. So I'm going to read two laws, and then you guys get to decide which one is the actual law and which one I made up. always repeat the instructions right after I give them. Well, ever since I screwed it up the first time, I'm really just saying that for my own okay, good. Okay. <laughs> the first time we played this, I brought in two mm. actual laws. So ever oh, since. Oh, <laughs> that's a, that's a it's trick. It's very yeah. law abiding, yes. It's a good trick. <laughs> okay, so number one, it's illegal not to smile in Pocatello, Idaho. Or number two, you can't use fighting words with the intent or hope to start a fight with a police officer in Boulder, Colorado. Wow. So this is U.S. I was envisioning this would be some sort of, you yeah. know, foreign it jurisdictions. Yeah. It could be. But, <laughs> but today it's not. But today not it's not. Okay. <laughs> no, that's interesting. Wow. What do you think? I I smile everywhere I go, so I think I'd be safe in Pocatello, Idaho, <laughs> even if that is the law. Fighting words. Well, isn't it illegal to, you know, incite violence? Anyway, so I guess the legal question would be: Can you provoke violence from a police officer? Yeah, I thought this one was tricky. Hmm. Yeah. So what's the verdict? I'm gonna go with the don't incite violence you and say that's real. That's the real one. I'm gonna say the smiling one is real, if only because that's so nice. Well, <laughs> he's, a, he's as, a big smiler. You as can people tell. know, I'm generally anti-smiler. Is anyone who's <laughs> smiling? Has anyone who's ever seen a photograph of me? What ever? if you're smiling with flowers? It's insidious. I just don't want to go down that road. But you, in 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 my podcasting experience, usually the more ridiculous sounding wow. of the two is the real one. I hope you're right. I'm pro smile. I, I, th- I just don't think we're going to be in the middle in legis- on this issue. But I don't believe in legislating, you know, what people should do in that regard. Smile if you want. Don't smile if you don't want. Well, that's a controversial position. Kind of but why don't we ask Trish which <laughs> do the real law is. Okay. okay. Well, you guys are um, both going to be happy to know that uh, it is, in fact, illegal not to smile in Pocatello. <laughs> oh, let's go. So we should be immigrating there. Yes. Let's go um, there. That's so, so funny. So the interesting thing behind this law is that it was passed after a terrible winter oh. to get people to smile more. Oh. Um, and it led to an national advertising campaign, and now the town is known as the U.S. Smile Capital. So um, as a, I'm not a native Chicagoan, as our listeners know, Mm. but as somebody that's lived here for 13, going on 14 years, I would really love to see their version of a terrible winter. Um, Right. (laughs) I was just thinking, have they had a polar vortex? (laughs) Exactly. Um, There's nothing like forced happiness to make people feel better. (laughs) And that's the thing, even though I believe in smiling, I don't believe in forcing. Yeah. Maybe if you just fed them chocolate, they'd yeah, yeah. Exactly. that always helps. Uh, the Boulder, the Boulder <laughs> law is more interesting. Mm. Um, that it, it is a law in Boulder, Colorado, that you can't use fighting words with the intent or hope to start a fight. Mm-hmm. But the exception is you can do it with police officers. That's interesting. So oh, I was yeah. almost a protest. right. Yeah. So I was yeah. almost right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so police officers are the exception to mm. that law mm-hmm. in Boulder. And you can do this unless and until the police officer tells you to stop. Um, But 
the rub on this law, which I think is kind of just kind of fun, mm -hmm. is that your intent to annoy or harass the police officer has to be very clear. Huh. So, um, so if I'm smiling, right. <laughs> so you can't just be you, right? Yeah. And yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. You have to, you know, you have to be outwardly annoying, like, like poking or exactly. him or her. Like, does this hurt? Does this hurt? So anyway, field trip to Boulder. You must have okay. siblings. Yeah, Boulder. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah I do. So yeah. Boulder's a great town. Yeah. So you guys both got it right. Yay! Yeah, kind so. of. Well, no, you did. So yeah. this is fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay, John, what do you got for us? <laughs> so in anticipation of the discussion about West Africa, I decided to look up some strange law from Africa. Oh, Big nice. place, but I found one sure. that I thought really fit the bill. Mm -hmm. And I did the same with the Caribbean. Nice. Maybe. We'll find out Maybe. which one's true. I've got Belize chocolate. Option number one. In the Central African country of Burundi, jogging is illegal and can earn you a prison term from five years to life. Wow. So, jogging. So, I, I, as a runner, I have some questions about that. Uh -huh. But we can, you can well, do we'll that. I was just thinking. You know the rules. What about is, is running it, yes, as compared it, to jogging? Exactly. Right? That's exactly my question. Okay, but yeah. can, tell us your other rule Marathoning. First. Okay, mm -hmm. we'll go on. <laughs> like, is it just a rule that you can't be a slow runner? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, go ahead. What's okay. your second one? On the Caribbean island of Montserrat, it is illegal to drink rum, the consumption of which can earn you up to one year in prison. But rum is the Caribbean. <laughs> right, right. Sugar. And, and is cacao. That, is that the trick? Cacao is the or... Caribbean. He's a trickster. I'm getting oh, no. that sense. He is. Yeah. He is. You cannot trust <laughs> this guy. Um... <laughs> Valerie, you're our guest. Why don't you go first? Well, thank you, John. Well, I am very intrigued by the Burundi idea because I was kind of thinking along the lines with Trish. You know, is jogging just sort of like, you know, Western colonialism in another form? We don't want it. Is it okay to run, but not, right. you know, sort of meander? <laughs> yeah. So what? I think I, at least the way I've heard it described is, and mm -hmm. I've been running for 25 years, yeah. is that if you're going at a pace that's slower than 10 miles an mm. hour, that's a jog, and uh -huh. faster than that is a run. So so you think if this law is real, that there are Burundian police officers <laughs> laser scanning <laughs> people as they go by? What I'm hearing you say is I'm overthinking this. <laughs> um, maybe. But that's what we want lawyers to do, right. analysis. Yes, you're going to love my bill for this. Yep. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, if you've been running for 25 years, She's like a child athletic prodigy when you started. Yeah, I, I was that. negative seven when I started <laughs> exactly. running. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> Impressive. I know we're going to have to go running after this podcast because of all the calories we've consumed. But um, Oh, that's a whole other topic. This this chocolate um, this chocolate is a metabolism booster. You're going to walk out of here even skinnier. Exactly. That is just, news. that made my day. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. We have so much more to eat then. <laughs> right? Let's get on it. I'm, if I can, yeah, I, I think the Burundi law, there's... There's a whiff of authenticity <laughs> to me about that somehow. Yeah. 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 Trish? <laughs> <sighs> I think I'm going to go with the rum. And you'd be wrong. Ah, I knew it well was done, the Well done, Valerie. Oh, How could rum be I illegal know, I I in the Caribbean? It's like me. half of their economy. Okay, so tell and me cacao about the jogging another... law. Because I, am I <laughs> right factor. that it's, you can run but you can't jog? No, you've completely overthought this. <laughs> oh, I, you, can't. I, you can't run either. Can't you can't run, run either. either. So in 2014, the hmm. president banned jogging hmm. because he feared it was being used as a cover for subversion. Interesting. Yeah, at least according to the BBC News. Interesting. Interesting. I wonder yeah. if it was some sort of Western. That country has a lot, a, a lot of problems. Attempt. 
a lot of violence issues. Mm-hmm. There's probably a depressing explanation for it, but we're not mm-hmm. going to get into that because we've been talking chocolate today, and I think we should end on that note. Okay. I want to thank our guest, <laughs> Valerie Beck of Chocolate Uplift, for this informative and apparently not fattening conversation. <laughs> That's right. I also want to thank everyone here at the CBA who makes this machine run, including my co-host, Trish Rich, our executive producer, Jen Byrne, Ricardo Islas on Sound, and everyone at the Legal Talk Network family. Remember, you can follow us and send us comments, questions, episode ideas, or just troll us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at CBA at the bar, all one word. Please also rate and leave us your feedback on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcast. It helps us get the word out. Until next time, for everyone here at the CBA, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you soon at the bar. So what are we doing with all this extra chocolate?